So I'll be reading from, um, today's reading is from Revelation 20, uh, all the way to 21, um, verse 8, and that's on page uh, 1,248 in your Bibles. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient snake who is called the devil, the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw, the, he threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones in which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of, of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be, will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth, surrounded, by, sur surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth, the heavens, Fled, uh, the earth and heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the, the Alpha and the Omega, 
the beginning and the end. To the, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery, fiery lake of burning, of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Mark, thank you so much for reading that. And it's brilliant to see you here this afternoon. A huge welcome to Trinity Church Islington. Uh, whether uh, you've been around uh, a lot recently or whether you haven't been around for the last five or six years, uh, we've got some people come back to join us. It's great to see you and a huge welcome. Thank you for coming to join us. And um, we're looking at the book of Revelation under that title, Do Not Be Afraid, the great reassurance of the risen Jesus Christ to his church, to the local church, to the church like ours. And we're going to pray as we begin that we would feel that reassurance and that God's word would be understood by his local church. So if you'd like to, then join me. We're going to pray together. Let's pray. Father God, we've just sung that all heaven declares the glory of your risen Son, the Lord Jesus, and that he will be the Lamb on the throne forever. And I pray not only that we would understand him better, but that we would know him more closely. And, and so our priority in our lives day to day would be to give him maximum glory. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. And confidence is a very elusive thing. I'm sure, I'm sure you'll agree with that. It's, it's hard to be confident and to hold on to your confidence. So much about growing up um, seems to be about sort of gaining confidence or losing confidence, knowing whether you're the best or, or, or not quite the best. Uh, you have your end-of-term report. You have your sports teacher who points out some of your abilities, some of your lack of abilities, particularly in, in my case. Confidence is a fragile thing, isn't it? Even as a grown-up, it can disappear in a second. Um, do you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're learning to drive, and, and, and you're doing okay, and, and you're in second gear, and, and you're taking the corner, and then someone hoots at you, uh, and then suddenly everything just goes to pieces. You thought you were okay, and then, and then you're not. Or I remember learning to swim. Do you remember learning to swim? And, 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 and you've got the hang of it, and, and it's all happening, and then you realize you're at the deep end and you can't put your feet down. And then everything goes to pieces. That's that sort of elusive confidence. Or, or you're at work, you know, and you're feeling confident as a Christian. Uh, you pray for the day. It's going to go well. And then someone makes a comment about those irritating evangelicals. And suddenly you just, you know, you, you, you just, it all goes. Um, you're, you're in a spin. Uh, you want to keep your head down. Um, I recently read a, a review uh, in the paper where someone wrote this. The phenomenon of confidence is a delicate thing. It rises on a word and falls on a syllable. It just goes up and down the whole time. We're listening to what people are saying about us, and our confidence can go sky high or down to the depths. Such a fragile thing. And particularly as Christians, Medusa reminded us last week, if you were around for that, as we looked at, at chapter 19, that every day we're surrounded by sort of money and luxury and convenience, 
And, uh, and, and no one in London seriously believes that Christianity is the answer to anything. And um, things go well for us when we keep our heads down generally. And everything's pushing us in a different direction. People are offering us uh, money and positions of power sometimes. And, and, our, and the church just feels like a footnote to society. I mean, it, it's barely going to make the history books, is it, in the 21st century. And we would love to speak out at work and, and in our families with that confidence, with that self-assurance about Jesus. We would love to be able to do that. But Christian confidence just deserts us when the moment comes. You know what it's like, don't you? It just disappears. Well, as I said, we've been calling our series on the book of Revelation, Do Not Be Afraid, taken from the words of Jesus to those seven churches uh, which would be in modern-day Turkey, right at the start of the book, chapters 1 and 2. And, and as we come to the end of the book, looking at chapter 20 mainly, just a little bit of chapter 21 this afternoon, we're going to be given three massive reasons to be confident as Christians. Three massive reasons. And, and here's the first one, and it comes from chapter 20, verses 1 to 10. Now is a time of gospel opportunity. Right now is the time of gospel opportunity if you're a Christian. Chapter 20, verse 1, can you see that on page 1248? Do check that I'm telling you what's true out of the Bible. Chapter 20, verse 1, can you see that? This is what it says. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon that ancient snake who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, that thousand years is quite famous. You, you, you might know or, or you might not. It comes in verses 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. And there's been a lot of debate about what, what that thousand years refers to. Um, it's fair to say that Christians have read this chapter in different ways. Over, over the years. If you've ever read the Left Behind series, am I I'm the only person old enough to remember that? The Left Behind series, you'll know that it can get very complicated. Here's my attempt to simplify it. You'll see a diagram come up on the screen. There are three main ideas, three main interpretations of that thousand years, how it fits into history. And it wouldn't surprise me if there were people who'd been taught each of those three at some point in their lives uh, if you've been a Christian for a while and you're here this afternoon. We might not end up agreeing, that's fine. Because some Christians uh, would call themselves pre-millennials. Pre-millennials, they see things fitting together like this. That the thousand years, this key sort of period of time, is happening in the future. And that Jesus comes back pre, that's why they're called pre-millennials. Uh, it doesn't quite fit on the screen there. Uh, sorry about that. Um, but Jesus comes back pre the thousand years and he rules on earth with Christians who previously died uh, before the final judgment comes. So Jesus comes back, there's a, a reign of a thousand years and then, and then Jesus uh, um, uh, brings about the final judgment. Okay, that's pre-millennials, Jesus comes back before the thousand years. Then you get post-millennials and they understand chapter 20 like this that the thousand years are going to happen sometime in the future. Uh, and um, the church will rule over the world for a thousand years. 
And then Jesus comes back, post the thousand years. See, that's why they're called post-millennials. And then the final judgment happens. Okay? And then third view, some Christians are amillennials. Okay, and I count myself as one of those. And I'm going to explain to you why in a minute. And they see the thousand years going on at the moment. We are in the thousand years. And in fact, the thousand years is the whole time between Jesus' resurrection and his return. And when that moment comes and he does return, that's when the final judgment comes to you. Okay, I'm sorry the diagram hasn't come out, but if you want me to email it to you, then my email address is on the back of the service sheet, and I'll be very happy to send it on. Now, of those three options, pre-millennialism, post-millennialism, and amillennialism, I think the third one fits best with the text of Revelation. Let me talk you through Revelation 20 with that understanding. I hope it'll make sense. So have a look at the beginning of chapter 20. And I saw. Do you remember that? That's John's way of sort of resetting the, the time scale. Those are the words that he's introduced at the beginning of each of these overlapping views of history. They're often the reset button that takes us back in time. Okay, we've seen that as we've been through the book of Revelation. Then stage one, verses one to three, Satan is bound. Okay, have a look down at chapter 20, verses one to three. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient snake who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So stage one, Satan is bound. Like Jesus says in the Gospels, remember, he, he binds the strong man. Do you remember that? We saw that in our small groups in Mark chapter 3. Satan is to some extent under control. We face an enemy who's been constrained by the cross. Okay, Satan is bound. Secondly, Jesus reigns with the souls in heaven. That happens in verses 4 to 6. Have a look at that. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls, notice the souls, of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So this is stage two. Jesus is reigning with the souls in heaven. We've met them before, do you remember? These are the, these are the people who've already died, and, 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 and they're under the throne, you remember, in chapter 6, and they're resurrected souls in heaven. That's the first resurrection. And, and so you think of a Christian who's died. I can think of my dad. He died as a Christian. My dad is already in heaven crying out how long. His soul is in heaven. That's where he is. Stage three is the battle that fizzles out, okay? The battle that fizzles out. So verses seven to 10, when the thousand years are over, 
Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. We saw that last week, if you were here. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That's uh, a picture that's taken from Ezekiel 38 and 39. And the devil, verse 10, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the, and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. We saw in chapter 19 this, this great final battle, like Medusa said, like the Helm's Deep battle in, in The Lord of the Rings. But that battle doesn't come to very much. Uh, fire comes down and devours them. That's the amillennial view of chapter 20. I hope it makes sense to you. It seems to be the one in my mind that fits best with the text. The thousand years is going on now, and, and, and that makes sense if you compare chapter 20 with the rest of the book of Revelation. There, there's similar language to, to chapter 16, 17, and 19, overlapping segments. We've seen that before. It makes sense with the rest of the New Testament, where there are only two ages. You remember two parts of history, this current evil age and the present and the age to come. Yeah, the present evil age, the age to come, with the return of Jesus and the final judgment at the same time in the middle. And it also makes sense of the earthly ministry of Jesus, where he made it clear that Satan's power was limited and the strong man had been bound by his power. Well, if you've drifted off and started watching Wimbledon, now's, now's the time to come back. Okay, now's the time to come back. Because now we've got the context right and we've thought about the time frame, then we can think about some of the implications. And the implications are that we can be confident as Christians because now is a time for gospel opportunity. Now is a time for gospel opportunity. Uh, it's great to see a policeman sitting at the back. Um, Peter, it's always good. I, I'm going to make a point about policing now, but I stand ready to be corrected uh, if, if, if I've got something wrong. There's a tactic in policing, so I understand, uh, which uh, the police use, and it's called kettling. Um, are you familiar with that, kettling? Um, Peter, that's nice. Yeah, great. I'm getting a thumbs up. Okay. And, and what happens is that during times of public unrest when they're sort of rioting, um, then lines of police sort of contain the rioters in, in one place. They sort of put them together so that they can be controlled and the rest of the city can function normally. I think that's the principle. If I can put it like this, Satan has been kettled. Can you see that? Satan has been cattled. Stage one, Satan has been restrained. Have a look down at chapter 20, verse 2 again. The dragon, the ancient snake, who is the devil or Satan. There's no, there's no question really about his identity. That enemy has been thrown into the, into the abyss and it has been locked and sealed. Satan has been restrained. Stage two, the, the souls of the saints have reached heaven. The first resurrection has, has taken place. Do you remember Jonathan Steele? Some of you remember him. 
we've only had one church member die here at Trinity over the last 15 years, a guy with a massive smile and an incredible laugh who wrote the most amazing prayers. He's experienced the first resurrection. He's, he's reigning with Jesus. The devil will never get his hands on him. That's a great thing, isn't it? So the, the devil has been constrained. Saints are safe with Jesus, and then the battle will fizzle out. God's enemies gather like sand on the seashore. Can you see that? Do you know how many grains of sand on earth? 75 followed by 17 zeros. That's how many grains of sand. I don't know how they work that out. Uh, but it all ends in nine words um, in, in verse 9. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. The battle fizzles out. Satan has been kettled. This is a time of gospel opportunity right now. And so we can be confident. We can be confident Christians. That's the point. Satan has been restrained. He, he can't do all he wants to. He can, he can only move a couple of inches in each direction. And we're living in a time of extraordinary opportunity. Jesus says that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And maybe we're not seeing it so much in this country, but across the world, the kingdom is growing hand over fist. Now is the time to spread the gospel. You know, be honest, what, what is it that's preventing us from inviting people to the jazz event on Thursday night? What, what is it preventing you from inviting your friends and family or colleagues along to the jazz event on Thursday night? Is it a lack of confidence? You don't need to lack confidence, says Jesus. Our, our, our enemy will not prevail. If we're lacking confidence, we haven't understood the current situation, according to Jesus. Even those who've been killed are, are alive and reigning with Jesus in the heavenly places, waiting for the resurrection bodies. It, it's not always easy, I, I grant you that. It's not always easy. But things are going our way. And one day evil will have had its day and it will be de defeated in a tiny moment. So who could we tell confidently about the gospel this week? That's a thousand years. But there's a time after that, the final judgment. And that's described in verses 11 to 15. And that's the end, a time when the book's will be opened, a time when the books will be opened. Have a look down at verses 11 to 15. I'll read from verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The, the, the camera angle sort of goes back to the throne. We're back in the throne room of, of chapter 4. And the, and the earth and the heavens make a run for it um, because of God's incredible majesty. Verse 11, the whole of the universe sort of legs it away from God's holiness. It's like there are shooting stars everywhere. And, and whereas in chapter 6 we just saw the redeemed standing before the throne, now absolutely everyone is going to be summoned before him. 
everyone. Notice that it's inescapable. Verse 13, even the sea gave up his dead. There's been a lot about the wreck of the Titanic, hasn't there? Even the sea will give up its dead. It is inescapable. Notice that it's personal, that it will involve you. Uh, Verse 13, each person was judged according to what they had done. You will be judged on the evidence of your life alone and the way that you've lived it. Notice that it is evidential. Do you see that? This isn't done on a whim. It's not sort of guesswork. It's not sort of different rules for, for mates. There's evidence for this, and it's been recorded. This is based on facts. What the Bible's saying is, is this, that every human enemy of God, and that will be every single one of us at some stage in our lives, will, will be outed. Not because God's a bitter God and, and he loves sending people to hell, but because God is a just God who gives people what they deserve, just like you would want in any court of law, which is justice. And there's good bookkeeping in heaven. Um, nothing's going to be lost. Everything we've done is going to be written down. It's all recorded. It says that twice, but have a look at verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And those are the books that record what we have done, end of verse 12. Things we might have forgotten about, things we might have chosen to forgotten about, to, to forget about. The books that condemn every one of us for, for, for holding God at arm's length, for for living things our own way, for making things that were only meant to be important, ultimate. According to these books, we are in as much danger as Satan of being thrown into the lake of fire. It's that serious. Our, our name is added to those books automatically. Pretend these are the books that record everything that you've done or thought or said in, in your life. Our names are added to that book automatically. But then there's a second book that the text tells us, a second book. And if your name is written in that book, then judgment cannot touch you. Wouldn't you want to know whether your name was in that book? Um, Someone I know passed their membership of the Royal College of Surgeons. It's quite a difficult exam. And, um, <clears throat> and he got three, um, and he was told so after the exam. He finished the exam, and they said, well done, um, you've got three, you've passed, um, you've, you've got your membership. Um, and um, it meant that he could put MRCS after his name. Um, it's a big event. If, if you want to be a surgeon, this is what you've got to do. Um, if you're going to practice as a surgeon, then you, you need that. Uh, but the following Monday morning, um, he, he got on the phone to the Royal College of Surgeons just, just to look them up, you know, and got the number and, and, and phoned them up and spoke to someone on the front desk. And they said, strange question, um, but can I just check something? Is my name definitely on the register? Um, because um, I was told it was. I'm just, before I start doing operations this morning, um, I just want to make 100% sure um, that it's in there. Would you, would you mind checking? Yes, they said. It is definitely there. We've got the records 
Um, I'm looking at your name right now, they said. Had all the exam results in front of them. You know, to, to get your name in a lot of books is a sort of matter of privilege or connections, isn't it? That's, it's so frustrating sometimes. Um, if you're not a person who comes from the right family, who hasn't got the rights or didn't go to the right university, it can get extremely frustrating. You know, you, you can't get your name in the private school leavers book. Um, you, you're not in the homeowner's register. Uh, you're, you're not on the wedding guest list when it comes to the, the best weddings. You, 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 you haven't got sports club membership because you've never played that sport before. Um, you know, no one will exclude you from the book of life if you, if you want your name to be in it. It's a fantastic thing. But it doesn't happen by default. You know, it doesn't happen just because you're from a Christian family. We've been coming to church for ages. That's not going to do it. This is something that you have to ask for, even if it's given to you freely. And in fact, it's the full name of this book came back in chapter 13. And this is what it's called. The Lamb's Book of Life, The Lamb Who Was Slain from the Creation of the World. That's, that's the full name of the book. The Lamb's Book of Life, The Lamb Who Was Slain from the Creation of the World. And how do you ask your name to be put in that book? You simply accept that Jesus is the slain lamb who, who gave up his life as a sacrifice for you and you trust him to, to cleanse you and to forgive you and spare you judgment. And you depend on him. And the pen comes out. And your name goes in. It's a wonderful thing. The question is, does that give you confidence? You know, knowing, that you're, knowing that you've taken that step, does that give you confidence this afternoon? You know, you could phone heaven. I mean, you could phone heaven and say, um, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. Uh, uh, my name's Jeremy. I live in London um, in, in the UK. Is my name definitely on the register? And they would say to you, yes, I'm looking at it right now. In a confidence, it's such an elusive thing, isn't it? But now is a time of gospel opportunity. And, and there will come an end when the books will be opened. And, and, and after that, if your name's in that book, is a future in God's eternal city. That's our, that's our third point. We're going to come back to this at much greater length last week. It's, 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 it's much too good to, to squeeze into the end of, a, end of a talk. But let's look at it briefly. It's so glorious, perhaps we need to look at it twice. The future, eternity in God's city. You see that really famous words. Chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. You, you, you notice how good it is? See how good it is? 
in, it's, it's not even about us going to heaven. I mean, we talk about it like that, don't we? That God is so generous that heaven comes to us. <laughs> you see? He brings it to us. And it, it's not just true that we will be in the heavy, heavenly city. It is beautiful, you see. It's, it's, it's beautiful, like a, like a beautiful bride. It, it's not just material. It's relational. You see, at, at, at the heart of our universe is not just things that we enjoy. It, it, it's a person that we enjoy. This is about being with God. That is what the whole Bible just longs for, the opportunity to be with God. Heaven and earth becoming one. That is our destination. So we can be confident, yeah? Confidence is such an elusive thing. It, it can rise on a word and fall on a syllable. But if we walk out of church this afternoon knowing that Satan's power is limited and, and that we can get on with the job of telling the gospel to other people, that our enemy will not prevail, that Satan has been kettled, and that even those killed there are alive and reigning with Jesus in the heavenly places, just waiting for their resurrection bodies. And, and if we know that evil will not end with a bang but with a whimper, you know, it's going to sort of fizzle out. And then our names are, are, are written in this book, yes, but they're written in that book, in the, in, in the book of the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. And if we knew that heaven and earth are going to be joined together and we'll live forever with him, then we'll go and, and live this week and this summer and the years ahead with confidence in Jesus Christ. And we'll live for him. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, your Son, have brought the, the devil under control, have given us names in, in the book of life, have, have made possible this amazing future where we can live with you forever, um, side by side, as you wipe every tear from our eyes. And I pray, Father, we'd be confident Christians. Um, in our witness, in, in the things we say, in, in our manner, um, in, in the way that we feel um, as we point to Jesus, to our colleagues and our friends and, and our family. Give us that confidence, Father, that's based on, on what you've done, that nothing and no one on this earth can, can undermine or take away. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.